We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're already laughing, having a good time with some pre-show stories. Today we're going to talk about... uh, LeBron is somebody that all of us know LeBron, right? This is a guy who's played in the social media age. There are more basketball fans who know more about LeBron, who know his game more in depth than probably any player in NBA history. But it's still different for me, at the very least, to see a guy on a day-to-day basis. And we're going to talk about kind of what we learned about LeBron this year going through that day-to-day experience rather than just watching him from afar. I want to start out just talking about kind of his overall dominance level and his overall, you know, his overall game and his impact on it. We'll start with the counting stats. And then I did some research on the different play types and how he performed on them over the course of the last four seasons. But one of the things I was really surprised to find was LeBron this year averaged 28 points per 36 minutes. That's the highest mark of his career. He's never averaged 28 points per per 36 minutes before. It's the highest per 36 minutes in in terms of rebounds at 8.6 rebounds per 36. And then the 8.4 assists that he had is the second highest total. This is all in about half of the minutes total. He played in 1,937 minutes. Normally, just in the regular season, he's about a 3,000 minute 
per season guy. Then you throw the playoffs and all that on top of it. So from a counting stats perspective, he was as dominant as ever. You can make the argument from the main categories that this was his best season, in fact, from a on a permanent basis. Darius, what did you see from him? Like not necessarily different, but just from a day-to-day dominance type of standpoint. What did you see from LeBron this season from being able to watch him every day? You know, the way that you opened this, I thought was perfect because we've been watching LeBron a long time. Some of his high school games were on ESPN. Yeah, man. And this was way before that was a thing, by the way. Like seeing him, I remember the Vincent, St. Vincent, St. Mary's, those games being televised and it being like, and this is never, we've never done this before with a high school game type of thing. He had some games even on ESPN way before that was something that you could find on Spectrum Sportsnet or, or something like that. It was a big deal even back then. No, like ESPN, right? Like this isn't local, this isn't the high school all, all American game. You, you, right. you know what I mean? Like, they're putting him on ESPN. Like, everyone went crazy this year because, um, what was it, like the the Zion LaMelo Facebook live stream? Was that last mm-hmm. season? Or I think that was last year. But right? Yeah. But but that was sort of billed as this, this major thing, right? And it was. But this was you you know this is like the mothership this is espn the worldwide leader and they're showing a high school kid play basketball which is sort yeah. of just it's just phenomenal right so he's been in our lives so long and he's made all these deep playoff runs he's been the only game in town basically when you start to get to may and june him and whatever team that that the Cavs or the heat were playing at well at the time so we have this great familiarity with LeBron at sort of, sort of these highest stakes, brightest lights moments. And what was interesting watching sort of regular season LeBron on a day-to-day basis is just how, just how good and smart he is as a player in order to accumulate those types of counting stats while clearly not playing at the intensity level that we're used to seeing from him when we're really dialed in and tuned into him as as sort of fans from from afar right so yeah that's like uh, you know when you're watching playoff games and things like that the big national tv games those are when us as you know not fans of cleveland or miami when we were tuning in the most and i for me that very much what you're saying there speaks to me in terms of like my impression of of who LeBron is was based off of those type of games. Yeah. So to sort of watch him be able to say, you know what, like I'm going to turn it up for five or six minutes in, in a row during a regular C season game and, and dial up the effort level and dial up the intensity. And there were plenty of games this regular season where you look at his numbers early in the first half or midway through the second quarter and it's like, oh, LeBron's got, I don't know, eight points, three rebounds, and a couple of, of assists. And then suddenly halftime comes, and those numbers are like 17, 6, and 6. And right. you're like, where'd that come from? Sort mm-hmm. of. I say all that just because he has this remarkable ability, and and watching him day in and, and day out, it really shined through for me that the really great players know how to sort of pick their spots and know how 
the game is going to respond to them and how to maneuver within a game in order to tilt it in their direction in order to have an an impact and and not only an impact on like winning but for lebron specifically since you cited his stats like a statistical impact and it's just something that i grew to appreciate a fair amount especially when you consider that as the season went on and especially in the month of march right where the lakers were falling out of the playoff race but LeBron's numbers were actually probably his best month of the regular season. And I was just like, he's doing this in 32 minutes or 33 minutes. He was getting earlier rest, like in the first quarter. His minutes distribution started to change, but he was still able to just sort of go out there and put his imprint on the game so, so easily. And it was something that watching, you, you know, recent carnations of of the Lakers that we just haven't seen a great player like that in a, a really long time. We've said this throughout the season about LeBron, right? Like we, we've we said this throughout the season about LeBron, but just watching him on a game-to-game basis really just showed me all of these little things that he's so good at that add up over the course of, of a game or over the course of what we've seen from him for the full season. One thing that stood out to me was coming into this season, it was very easy to think of LeBron as this this just blanket of dominance and this robot, this you know, irreplaceable, irreplicable type of guy. And he is that. But this obviously this season did not end in the ninth straight NBA finals appearance. It was not something where like, it's okay, we have LeBron, everything's going to be taken care of from that. So this Lakers team is not in the Eastern Conference, but it struggled even when you kind of account for that. What was missing in this year's LeBron experience that you think may have been different from previous years that that go beyond just being, oh, well, it was the East, he could he could blow through it? So this is where I think, and I wrote about this some um, in the wake of the Lakers Eve even signing LeBron, and you and I had spoken about this some even on the podcast when the idea of the Lakers actually being maybe like the betting favorite to sign LeBron before July mm-hmm. came, because we had lots of those conversations leading into the free agency period. And I had expressed, I don't want to say concerns about LeBron and signing him because, you know, who has concerns about signing the game's best player or one of the top two, well, two or three players in the league. One of the things that I questioned about what the Lakers were going to do if they were able to sign LeBron was just sort of how they were going to build the roster around him. And that, and I made a point about this in the wake of the signing I basically said that LeBron has more of a symbiotic relationship with his teammates now than maybe he ever had at any point in his career. And hmm. and that from the time, basically from his second year in Miami, all the way through his four years with the Cavs in, in his second stint, there was a very deliberate formula that was used in order to optimize LeBron in a way that was going to get the best out of him without so 
there wasn't just this expectation that he was going to be the best player in the world. The The way that those organizations built the rosters was totally trying to amplify how good he already yeah. was. And one thing that happened with this year's roster, and this is where I tilt more towards Magic and Rob sore, sort of... Um, trying to reinvent the wheel, which is something that we've discussed in like the last month, like on the pod when the Lakers were sort of fall falling out of favor and it was time to assign blame, is that they they really did try to say, oh, well, we're going to do it this way now. And, mm-hmm. and what we saw was that even though LeBron is still good enough to get his numbers, those numbers did not translate to the rest of his teammates if that makes sense. It does. And that plays into your point of how everybody was placed around LeBron to accentuate him, right? So what does LeBron do well? LeBron is going to put pressure on the front of the rim. He can shoot. He's a great passer, obviously. He he can create out of, out of isolation. He can do all sorts of things. There are very few things that LeBron is bad at. But the, what LeBron does best, what makes him special, is his ability to get to the rim and either make a play for himself or make a play for somebody else. And the Lakers, in a lot of ways, did everything possible or just about everything possible to make that as difficult as possible for him, whether that's signing guys that defenses don't respect and all of a sudden LeBron's driving lanes are clogged up. The Twitter account Run the Jewels posted a picture earlier today of how Milwaukee was defending LeBron coming off of a pick and roll, and he described it as like the the Rondo effect on the offense. And just everybody on the weak side is just like cheating off of, you know, the the guys cheating off of Brandon Ingram, who's in the weak side corner. The Brooke Lopez, who had gotten switched on to Rondo, is completely ignoring him. Even Kyle Kuzma on the pick and pop was not drawing the attention. And, And the defense was able to apply, you know, the attention of three different guys to LeBron. That is not unique or new in LeBron's career. The difference is that guys could not capitalize and take advantage of that. And you saw it a lot in LeBron's body language. That was something that was even addressed in a players-only meeting of, you know, LeBron's rolling his eyes and just his very obvious disappointment. But what it was is all of these things that LeBron's been doing for so much of his career, the guys that were around him were not in place to take advantage of that. When defenses in the past did that same thing of stunting one pass away to give him some extra attention or not following to the pick and pop guy, it was Kevin Love picking and popping or Chris Bosh doing that or a Kyle Korver or J.R. Smith on the strong side being able to take advantage of that. And so the Lakers in trying to take some of the responsibilities from LeBron out of his hands and make it easier on him, made it harder on him because it made what he does best a lot more difficult. And that, in turn, allowed it to to make LeBron look not not just human, but just not like this unstoppable force because it was no longer a situation where you had to pick your poison. Yeah, and I even want to just make sure that we're we're stating this even more bluntly, right? So not only did the Lakers surround LeBron with players who were going to make his life harder, right? But they surrounded him with with players who actually weren't going to make the defense pay when they made his life harder, right? So the great thing about LeBron is that he is... He is such a great passer and such a great student 
in an ability to read how defenses are going to play him. And so there is, and so Zach Lowe talks about this a lot when he talks about um, how great passers who, who also draw a ton of defensive attention can read a defense. And one of the things that, that Zach describes a lot is how when you're a player like LeBron or a James Harden or even like a Chris Paul, so sort of these great passing ball handlers who who are dual threats as scorers as well, one of the types of reads that they make is they're consistently watching the weak side to actually see which way defenders are leaning, right? And and how yes. defenders are playing in the three-second defensive three-second rule, right? And so players are consistently trying, especially against a player like LeBron and a James Harden as well, guys guys who do threaten the rim so, so often, they are consistently looking to get in help situations in order to defend the front of the rim. And players like LeBron, they understand that players are going to then vacate and then re-enter the restricted area in order to show help. And one of the things that he does is pass when when defenders are leaning in the direction in order to come back to help situations. Yeah, they'll start toe-tapping into yes. the paint. And when they see him, he sees that his weight shifted a little toward him, that's going to be a skip pass the other way. Exactly. And so the problem with the Lakers roster is, is that... The guys that they had in place to play around him, the Lance Stevensons, the Rajon Rondos, um, and even, you know, Kyle Kuzma, who shot really poorly this year from, well, from distance, those guys were not adequate shooters in order to make the defense pay. And on top of that, there were no other stretch big men, right? And and so, like... Contrast, you brought up Milwaukee earlier from a defensive standpoint, but contrast Milwaukee's roster construction with the Lakers' roster construction. And every player that they've brought in or surrounded Giannis with, who is a very similar player to LeBron within the context of, like, I'm going to threaten the front of the rim, Mm -hmm. They surrounded him with just shooter after shooter after shooter, right? And so yeah. they brought in Brooke Lopez at the trade deadline. They brought in Nikola Mirotic. They've got guys like Malcolm Brogdon and and Ilyasova and all of these guys, right? It's it's just right. shooter after shooter after shooter. Bud talks about spacing, but not only spacing from the from the standpoint of shooters, but spacing in a very sort of like, you're going to stand here. And the reason why you're going to stand here is because it makes you, it puts your defender in, in a suboptimal position to be both a help defender and someone who can get back to you in order to contest your shot appropriately. And this is where too. So this not only falls on like roster construction, but I think it falls on Luke Walton as well from a schematic oh, standpoint. Knowing where knowing where your shots are going to come from is a huge thing for a player. Yeah, and, and 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 so not only that, but just like look, like 
this is where you need to be positioned on the floor. And one of the things when I do end up writing about Luke Walton, one of the reasons why I've been sort of disappointed with him from a schematic standpoint is he came up in the triangle offense. The triangle offense is almost all built off of players being in very specific spots on the floor in order to create a certain amount of of floor spacing, even without those positions being occupied by shooters, right? And one of the things that the Lakers did horribly this season was appropriately position players on the floor, even if they weren't necessarily going to be scoring threats from that from that specific position, just in order to create the right spacing to run a technical offense. And that's a coaching problem. That's like, there are personnel issues that are inherent with how you, with how effective that floor spacing would be from a player positioning standpoint. But that doesn't mean that you can't still reinforce those habits schematically by putting your players in those positions. Luke does a good job of putting guys in the dunker spot. He does a good job of maybe positioning where his players are coming from off of screens in order to curl into the lane. He does certain things offensively good enough that I don't think people are going to really give him credit for. But one of the ways that I was really disappointed with where the Lakers were this season was from like, okay, what is the foundation of your offense in terms of where players are supposed to be on the floor in order to optimize your best weapons? And that's where I think the Lakers as a whole, not only from a coaching standpoint and and from a a like a roster construction standpoint i think that's where they've let lebron down this year and i think all of that between the coaching and the roster construction and like you brought up rondo and lance stevenson who shot have shot perfectly fine from a percentage standpoint but we've talked about like how that's different than the amount of attention of attention that those guys get and what what i learned this year is that the type of team that you put around lebron matters it's easy to just look at a guy like LeBron and be like, oh, we've got LeBron and everything's going to be fine. And he was still great, but you can diminish what he's capable of, not just not in terms of just the numbers he puts up individually, but the impact that he has on the game, how effective your offense is, how many open shots that you get when he's on the court. He will be great no matter what the circumstances are, but the Lakers didn't maximize him, and that's something that they really need to do going forward. So i uh, going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk more about the on-court stuff on how to use LeBron going forward. But first, want to talk about sponsor Harry's. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Darius, are you bearded at the the moment? I have um, I have a shadow. You got that little salt and pepper thing going on that you did last time I, I saw you? It's very distinguished. It's a, it's a good look. Go to harrys.com backslash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and tr- trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover, and you get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. 
Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash bluewire. harrys.com backslash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, Darius. So in terms of the specific ways that the Lakers can use LeBron to maximize him, let's say that he does have the ideal roster around him. What are some of the situations and play types that you would like to see? Is there anything different than how they used him this year? And there was, anyth- was there anything that you learned from watching him this year within the play types that we've been seeing him in for the last, you know, 16 years now? You know, I'm actually very interested to hear the numbers that you've pulled. Let's do that. So so what I did was I uh, I went back over the last four seasons for LeBron as a scorer to look at his points per possession in different play types and the uh, frequency with which he did those things. I'm just going to point out the things that were a little bit different or notable in some way rather than reading off each of the numbers. In a lot of ways, it's remarkably similar across the board. And I think that's actually encouraging that he's been able to maintain a certain level that he's he's not falling off too much. The one area where you see a trend over the course of four years where it's dipping a little bit from one year to the next is in transition. He's not quite the monster that he was, you know, four years ago. He was averaging 1.32 points per possession. The next year that dropped to 1.21. The next year, 1.19. And then this year with the Lakers, 1.14. So that's been gradually following. And that makes sense for one of the greatest athletes and transition players of all time. As his athletic gifts start to diminish a bit, that's an area where that's going to be, that's going to fade away a little bit. But in other areas like as a pick and roll ball handler very similar to before isolation similar to before one area that really sticks out where where he's just phenomenal is as a pick and roll big he was averaging 1.32 points per possession this year and that's pretty consistent he, that's higher than it was his last year in Cleveland but he's had higher high years like that he's always in that 1.3 1.4 type of range and uh, as a post-up player 1.01 you know anything above one is is good as a spot-up guy 1.01 on cuts 1.5 so to put this in English I'll, I guess I'll give my perspective on this first I thought LeBron had the ball at the top of the key in a LeBron go do something mode way too often this season. One of the things I did notice was he let a lot of bigs, like he didn't make them pay for switching on to him. He'd dribble for 10, 12 seconds and then shoot a step back three fading to his left when he'd have a big guy on him. And if he'd drive to the paint, he was not burning guys with that as often as I would have liked. I would love to see him be the guy who like finishes plays a little more often. You don't take the ball out of LeBron's hands, but I think he should have fewer possessions where he's at the top of the key and just LeBron go do something mode, which is something he's been doing for 15, 16 years now. So it's not like the Lakers did something different with that. But I do think that that is something that is changing and will continue to change. And I'd like to see him get more possessions from the free throw line extended and lower, get more of those without taking the ball out of his hands at the top of the key all of the time. Well, you you know, just you citing, just you running off those numbers right now and sort of speaking to 
him operating at the top of the key and, and maybe not making bigs pay as much on switches when running pick and roll. You you know, LeBron's now basically a four or five. Um, running, running pick and rolls with him with a big man who is a dive player to me. Um, to me, that's not the jam anymore. Um, yeah. One of the things that I'd like to see more of, and it made me sad to think about it because remember the Lonzo LeBron pick and roll? I do. Yeah. Obviously, we haven't seen that in what feels like, I don't know, six months. Since Christmas, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's been a long time. Both. So LeBron and Lonzo were starting to develop real chemistry, both as um, Lonzo. At first, it started with Lonzo screening for LeBron. So then LeBron gets a smaller player on him, um, which I think is, I think that that's the matchup to exploit. So let's look at this from both of those 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 angles. If LeBron is going to handle the ball at the top of the key and you're going to run pick and roll, I'd love to see the point guard screen for him more so that LeBron can get a smaller player on well, on him and if LeBron can't necessarily beat that guy off off of the dribble, he can sort of muscle his way into that sort of 15 feet in position where then that pick and roll play essentially becomes a post play or an isolation right from the And when post. he seals guys whether he's coming so if he's coming off of a screen and say they switch that if he gets you sealed on his hip it's over if you're a smaller player yes. it's just it's over like you better hope your shot blocker comes on to block that and then if he does it's a dump off to JaVale who I do think was the one guy that the Lakers signed this offseason that does fit with LeBron even though he's not a pick and pop guy he's I thought they had really good chemistry together in the minutes they played but if LeBron can get that smaller guy with that guard coming up to set the screen you know whether it's on him beating the hedge or just on a straight switch or in the post like you're saying if LeBron gets him on his hip with an advantage just it's over like there's nothing that that smaller player can do about it well also too so if LeBron turns the corner and it's a switch and now he's got the point guard on well, well, well on him one of the things that he's great at especially when it's a player like Lonzo who's most often going to pick and pop is if Lonzo pops and then he becomes sort of a release valve on that play. They could play a little bit of hot potato right there where yeah. LeBron can kick it to Lonzo and then Lonzo can just fire it right back to, to LeBron. And now he's playing at 20 feet or 18 to 20, 20 feet against a point guard with a live dribble. LeBron is going to be at his best, I think, against any player with a live dribble. One of the issues I had with his top of the key action, especially against switches, is is that LeBron is he's got amazing burst in a straight line. He's just not the shiftiest yeah. player. He's just too big. Yeah, he's like he's massive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, like he's just too big the, the to Lakers, be shifty. 
the Lakers didn't do a good enough job of creating this, the requisite space to create more opportunities for those straight line drives because because of their outside shooting, because of scheme. Uh, that's one of the reasons like I loved that pick and roll combination that you're talking about in the opposite way too, where yes. Lonzo was the ball handler and LeBron's rolling off that because if LeBron gets ahead of steam in a little bit of space, there's a bunch of guy, guys making business decisions. There's and ones. He can use that straight line speed and, and elevate in and, and he's still able to do that even at this point in his career. But the Lakers had so many possessions where they didn't take advantage of that. And if somebody does step in, you've got, you know, probably the the highest end short roll passer that you could possibly have. So those are the types of plays. Even the Brandon and LeBron ball screen action with usually LeBron as the screener for Brandon that worked great toward the end of the season too so those are exactly the type of plays where you can get around him not necessarily being shifty but still take advantage of his still incredible physical gifts yeah and and so you brought up the LeBron screen screening for for Lonzo play Lonzo has two really great passes in 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 his arsenal he's really good with the pocket bounce pass the one-handed Pocket bounce pass. Yes, and he's really great at throwing the lead, sort of the, this lead floater pass that isn't quite a lob pass, but it's one where he sort of throws this sort of like looping parabola pass into open yep. space to lead a guy into the area of the floor where there's no defender. One of the reasons why I think him and Kuzma, Lonzo and Kuzma have great chem chemistry is 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 because Kuzma is a really good player at sort of nav he has to me like good spatial awareness when he's flowing into space. Kuzma Yeah, he knows where that open spot is. Yes. Yeah. Where Kuzma struggles more, I think, is when he's playing in a crowd. He doesn't really mm-hmm. understand like he can do euro steps and things like that, but when when he starts to get bunched in, he doesn't have that explosiveness to elevate over the top, and he ends up sort of flicking up these shots or getting his shot blocked a lot in ways that are just hard for him. But Lonzo, and he doesn't know how to use his body to initiate content. That's another conversation for another time. But yeah, all of that combines for him to struggle in a crowd. But Lonzo is very good at sort of leading Kuzma to the open area of the floor where, where he can get up those little runners and flick shots that he's just got great, great touch on. LeBron, meanwhile, can play great in the crowd, right? And so... But Lonzo throws that same sort of looping pass to him, and it's a layup like every single time because LeBron just bounces off of guys, and he will move people when when they do collapse on him. So that action sort of goes both ways, and I'd be very interested moving forward in seeing more guard to LeBron screen action rather than LeBron sort of hearkening back to like his first Cavs stint, right? Where he's running pick and roll with Anderson Varejao and just turn turning the corner and like trying to, you know, dunk on Rasheed Wallace, right? Like in that Piston series, for for example. Or like you 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 know, like two thousand four or two thousand five through two thousand nine and two thousand ten LeBron, right? Where he was just a freight train turn turning the corner on on the screen screen and roll and it didn't matter who was back there this version of him he's just not 
that player. He is much more calculated when he's coming off the screen. He is looking for the switch. And if he's going to look for the switch, optimize that by screening with a smaller player to get him in a position where he's got a massive size advantage rather than a smaller quickness or speed advantage against you, you know, like modern day bigs who are designed now to basically play in space. The guys who, the bigs who cannot play in space at all end up on the, end up on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with a guy like LeBron on the court who can burn them for playing or even, you know, guys who can come off of a screen and score. And that that's actually something while you were talking that really came to mind that in order to maximize the potential of bring your guard up to set a screen for LeBron, LeBron needs a partner that's capable of scoring and passing out of ball screens. The Lakers have not had that type of guy in a very long time in that, you know, guys like Lonzo and Rondo are great passers out of in those situations, but they're they're not very good at scoring on those guys like Brandon and Kuz they do not have the passing ability on a consistent basis they have show flickers of it but they don't do it consistently enough to where that's a a dangerous combination they also don't set good screens so just yeah just to jump in they don't set good screens so I, I think I think Brandon sets decent screens but does not do it enough or and whether that's a schematic thing or a lot of times, you know, players, you watch Caruso do this, he'll stick his fist up in the air. If you ever see that on, on a court, that's a player telling somebody else, I'm going to set a screen for you. And, you know, there are reads like that and Brandon doesn't necessarily have the motion principle, the understanding of motion principles really to just do that on the fly as often at this point. Uh, he did it more toward the end of his, his season before it was cut short by the injury. But so I do think Brandon can screen a bit, but your point is well taken and that that is not really a big part of either of those guys games yeah i i I mean for as much pick and roll at that kuzma's involved in as a screener i'd love for him to try to set more screens you you know like actually set the pick yeah (laughs) like so kuzma reminds me and maybe this is just a young player thing but julius randall was like this his first couple of seasons in the very much so where he just slipped every screen because he was always sort of looking for the crease in order to get the pass to be a scorer but I the last couple of years I think Randall's gotten better um he still slips a lot but I think he's gotten better at setting that initial screen in order to gain advantage which is one of the reasons why as you mentioned that he had that LeBron had good sort of chemistry with JaVale. I, I actually thought he had pretty good chemistry with Tyson Chandler on screen roll actions as well. And it's because those guys set mammoth screens and really free him to turn the corner and and attack the front foot of a switching big man, right? Like when you don't set that hard screen, then the spacing just gets jumbled even more and the lane gets even smaller. So there's there's just a lot of technical things that the Lakers need to do bad, better as well. If you want to put that on the player, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that these are also things that should be reinforced consistently by the coaching staff. And to sort of see Kuzma slip, I don't know, 85 or 90% of the screens, 
that tells me that it's probably not an idea that's being reinforced with him, that he needs to yeah. to actually make more contact. Yeah, no, that's something that he needs to, in order to maximize LeBron too, right, is that somebody, if you can get LeBron going downhill, you might not get a stat for that, but that's going to help your team win games. But however it comes about, obviously we've got free agency coming up. That's something that LeBron really needs that type of partner to really get the most out of him. We've talked a lot about the offensive end. I want to talk about defense. There was, at points of the season, a lot of consternation about LeBron's effort level on that end of the court and a lot of video clips, and I'm guilty of that. And, and, and to be fair, he deserved some of that criticism. What did you see from LeBron on the defensive end of what he is and kind of what he can be going forward? I mean, I think that he could be a good on-ball defender. I think that he can defend the post. Where LeBron's going to get in trouble is when you're asking him to make multiple effort plays on a single possession, when you're putting him in rotations as an off-ball defender. Um, you you know, the idea that we've discussed on this pod is sort of like, what have you learned about LeBron? And this is the part about LeBron that I knew pretty well, honestly, that, sure. that this is what his defense has been for the past two or three seasons. There's a reason why like the last two or three Cavs teams have been, especially last year's Cavs team just wasn't a good defensive team. The t- The year before that, they were not a great defensive team either. The, LeBron has made his hay as a finals contender as being one of the league's best offenses or spearheading one, one of the league's best offenses. The, the Lakers can be, I think, a, a top half of the league defensive team. Um, they were well above that when everyone was healthy earlier this year. And I think that that speaks to the defensive talent that's on the roster. I also think that that speaks to the coaching. We've done a fair amount of, like, you know, twisting the knife a little bit with the well, with this coaching staff. I think that... Th- one thing that they have shown over the last couple couple of years is their ability to sort of get buy-in and and find ways to to build an an effective defense. So I think that they deserve cred, credit for that. I think LeBron can be part of a good defense. I don't think he's going to spearhead or or be the driver of your team's effective defense. I think he can hold his own in individual matchups. He still looks like a guy that players don't outright want to attack when they don't have clear advantage. And a lot of guys don't have clear physical advantage against him. Small, shifty guards might. Elite offensive players in general who have no fear against any defensive player, they're going to go at whoever is in front front of them, the Durants or like the Kyrie Irvings or James Hardens. They're going to attack you regardless and be effective. But on... Most of the matchups that LeBron is going to have night night to night are going to be against, you you know, like the third or fourth option offensively. And, yeah. and he's going to do fine with that. Where I'd like to see him continue to show better effort is in transition defense. It's in at least like making secondary rotations and then recovering back to the backboards. I feel like... He, he is more keen on on hovering around the paint. I think if the Lakers are really going to be 
a very good defensive team, he's going to need to make those rotations from the paint out out to the three-point line and then recover back to the painted area to be a presence on, well, on the backboards. If he has to do that more than once in the possession, I'm not holding my breath. That's going to happen. Yeah, and he might not even do it once. Yes, but right? but I'm saying he needs to do it once, right? Like he, he like he, he like he might not. But that's where I'm going to hold him accountable. Is right. That's like, the level of expectation. Yes, is like that he'll like do that. he needs to make he needs to make that initial rotation from the paint to the three point line in order to get a guy off of the line or contest that shot. After that, if if advantage continues to be made and he needs to make a second or a third rotation, it's just like, look, man, like he's not 27. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going to be in his 17th season. Like it's the same. It's sort of the same leeway I gave late career Kobe. It's just, that's just not how it's going to go, especially when you're asking a guy to carry the burden that he's going to carry offensively. So we're just going to have to be honest about that and just live with what it is. But we do have to have a baseline expectation of what his involvement off the ball defensively is going to look like for a successful defense. And I think what I said earlier is sort of where my head is around that. So I have a theory on this, and this is, you know, the the spirit of this podcast is this is a guy that all of us know and have seen for years and years and years, even if it was from afar. But what did we learn about watching him on a day-to-day basis? This is where I learned the most about LeBron. And my theory is that you have to give LeBron something to do on defense. And if you do give him something to do, he's going to do it well. I actually think that it's counterproductive even though that's counterintuitive to put him on that like fourth fifth option type of guy that isn't much of a threat because the you know the shake diallos of the world are going to be like hey i got a free run to this weak side offensive rebound because lebron's not paying attention to me and i'm just going to run his ass up and down the court as much as possible and that's something i'm less confident that lebron will change in the transition defense element even though that is that is harmful but when lebron's on the ball he's still very good He's not a guy that's getting burned off of the dribble over and over again. And that guys are, when the Lakers are switching, they're being like, oh, let's switch our guard onto LeBron. That's the matchup that we want. You you almost never saw that. He, you know, when he was playing small ball five toward the end of the season, you know, he had some great possessions on a Brooke Lopez. And if he was switching, he was really good at closing out on guys like that. And in help situations, the best help defense that he played this year was there were a couple of times, Golden State was one of them, and I'm drawing a blank on what the other one was, but where the Lakers ran kind of a junk defense where LeBron was a rover, and LeBron was great at that because it was not just a challenge for LeBron, but it was something for him to do. It was a a way of engagement. I think that it's not so much like a laziness or uh, he physically can't do it anymore. I think there's a certain degree of a lack of mental engagement in something. I mean, you know, we think of, you know, we love our basketball and the Lakers and all of that. And, and, but for him, this is like the job that he's been doing for 16 years. And, you know, he still shows up. He's still amazing on all of that. But I could understand why maybe mental engagement for this thing that you've done over and over and over again is not there on every single play. And there are some people who are able to lock in like that. And that's remarkable. But I think with LeBron, if you give him something to engage on, he's actually still very good at that. No, that's an interesting perspective. And, and I didn't really view it 
that way. I think that LeBron is still at that stage of his career where I think he very much does take a lot of this stuff personally. Mm-hmm. And when you're a great player, I think that that's an old habit that dies hard, right? Like yeah. even late career Kobe, if a guy tried to really challenge him, yes. he would dig down in his stance and he would grab his shorts and he'd say, okay, well then I'm in it. Let's go, right? Yeah. Like, And LeBron had some sound bites like that this season as well, right? Like, oh, you want to test me defensively? Well, then come at me. You, you, you know, which is both a great quote and a bit disingenuous because the stuff (laughs) he was getting criticized for wasn't for his lack of on-ball defense. It was because there were possessions where you just saw him stand in the same place (laughs) for, right? It's it's some, some scrub like ran around him. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so you sort of saying like, look. You, you, you know, put him on a m- more of an offensive threat or or design your defense around maybe more possessions where where you're asking him to be a bit more more active or hunt steals yeah. or or play the middle and sort of that that, you know, go out there and be Ed Reed sort of defense <laughs> yeah right oh that's what he did against the warriors man he was unbelievable on his rotations and and all of that like yeah give him those ed reed that free safety type of guy that is exactly what i mean and it's funny because lebron is clearly like on his decline athletically but it's like saying like oh well usain bolt has lost a step <laughs> right that's exactly it yeah it's still a bad dude man right so when when your peak athleticism was so far beyond what regular player peak athleticism looks like then right it's like like we're judging him against a standard that was already so high so let's see how we can still leverage the tools that he still has which are pretty great still even for yes. a player who's yeah. going into year 17 next year. Yeah, what, he's a, a 9 or a 9.5 out of 10 athlete now instead of an 11 out of 10 athlete, you know? So it, it's something, he's still a world-class athlete, and he's still a world-class player. And I think the construction of the roster and coaching, and I think that he probably underestimated this season a little bit. He had an interesting comment, I don't know if you caught it, about how he had this month-by-month leadership plan for how he was going to get this team to where it needed to be and the the injury really was devastating because it blew that out of the water he felt like they were very much on track but I do suspect that there was some degree of like we'll be fine and hell I mean we were as big a part of that as anyone right I speak more for myself than than for you but just the like it's going to be fine. We have LeBron, right? And I'm sure in LeBron's mind, there's no reason for him to not think this is going to be fine. We have me. And I'm curious to see how he approaches next year. I also think what you said about him being challenged is really, I think it is an interesting prologue to next season. With LeBron being wired the way that he is, and and him having more time off than he's had before, and feeling challenged in terms of who he is and what he can still do at this point, I think there's a pretty good chance that he comes out guns blazing at the beginning of next season. I'm very interested to see sort of what his offseason looks like. I know he's going to be filming a movie. There was the news report that he's going to, um, you know, have a full court basketball. Right. Right. Court built and 
very similar to what Michael Jordan did when he filmed Space Jam, um, which is something I was actually joking about with um, with uh, Andrew um, Unvari, Drew Unga, right mm-hmm. from uh, yeah. from Twitter. I, I had made a joke about this a month ago, basically saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm thinking about writing this fake article about whether." LeBron's going to recreate the Michael Jordan pickup basketball wars that he had during the filming of Space Jam. And lo and behold, a month later, here's the report that um, <laughs> that LeBron's going to have, you know, pickup basketball wars, basically, <laughs> by yeah. building a full-court basketball court. Just like you said, the this whole idea of having a longer offseason, I think a lot of the, the doubt that's being cast upon him great players feed feed off of that stuff and and so i'll i'll be very interested to see sort sort of how that translates into his offseason regimen and what it means when we get closer to next season but you know even saying all of that it's like i can't believe that it's you know the first week of april and we're already talking about next season man it's it's just you know, I like I hate to end the pod this way, but it's it, it's it's like just damn it. I really I really was just hoping not just for more from this season, but just everything that this team faced this season and how much of it was self-inflicted and, and how much of it was actually done to them through injuries and everything else. It's just like, man. It's just a tough pill to swallow, you know? Bro, this was a season where, like, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. And and much of it was self-inflicted, but much of it wasn't. And I find myself at maybe a different point of the mourning process. I'm, like, I'm this weird mix of excited and nervous. And, like, I feel like the, like, we're going to know a lot about what this organization is come mid-July. Yeah, like what they're made of. Right. Yeah. And like it's I feel like all of it's been building toward this for years. We got half of the job done. And I don't want to say half of the job because I hate the idea that like just getting two max guys is all that matters. So it's not half of the job. But getting LeBron, obviously, a big step toward where we wanted to be. But we're going to know like this summer is either going to be great or awful and there's there are a few scenarios where I see something in between and I am sad to not watch LeBron anymore and sad to not watch the Lakers anymore but I do think that from a long-term perspective there is some value in him playing half of the minutes that he's played in most of his other seasons him having multiple months off and you could put a dress on a pig all you want it's still a pig they missed the playoffs this was an awful season in and of itself but I don't think that there are long-term effects yet from what they've gone through so that being said it was very interesting to get to know LeBron over the course of this season and I'm looking forward to how he comes back so uh, thank you guys for listening you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast and we will catch you guys next time just give me a chance to think it takes me a little while to get wound up I know it does take you a while to think rebound of Vladi nice rebound of Vladi I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here?